reading from the Gospel of John 5, 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for calling us into this place of worship today. We thank you for letting us hear your voice as it came through this choir. We thank you for letting us hear your voice through the prayers, through the scripture. And God, now we ask that you will please help us to continue to hear your voice even through these words that I've prepared. Let us hear you that we might be transformed by your Holy Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus, that this world might know him more through us being transformed and conformed into his likeness. We offer this prayer together in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So the text that was read from John takes on a whole different perspective if you're actually sick or you actually have a loved one or yourself in the hospital. Since the week before Holy Week, my grandmother has not been feeling very well. And I'm so grateful to the Senior Adult Choir, to the Spirits of Joy. Um, I was in rehearsal with them when I got the call that my grandmother was being admitted to the hospital. And they have checked on me and prayed with me. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, when my grandmother first went to the hospital, they thought that she'd had a stroke. But testing ruled that out. Thankfully, she's better now. But we weren't sure then that healing meant for her coming home with us. Now, I believe and I preach the resurrection. But seeing the do not resuscitate armband on the arm of your loved one, that's sobering. Granny was in the hospital and then rehab for six and a half weeks. She just came home last week. And we asked her the same question that Jesus asked this man who was sitting by the pool in Bethsatha. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to get better? So altogether, the family said to her that she had to think positive thoughts. We told her that she had to want to live. We told her to believe that she could do what the physical and respiratory and occupational therapist taught her to do. We told her to dig deep and that she could pull through this. And she's trying. 
She's improving. She's making progress. The man by the pool in this text didn't seem to have family or friends to help him. He had no one to put him in the pool when the water was stirred up. That man was there, surrounded by people, and still he was all alone. Jesus knew this. Jesus saw the man who had no chance for healing on his own, and he asked him, do you want to be made well? In so many other healing stories, the one who needs healing seeks after Jesus. In the story in John right before this in chapter 4, a royal official asked Jesus to come to his home to heal his dying son. Later in the Gospel of John, Lazarus' sisters send word to Jesus that their brother is sick unto death and ask Jesus to hurry and come and heal him. The ones who know who Jesus is seek him. They know that he has the power to heal. The man by the pool has no idea that he is sitting in the presence of the one whose very nature it is to heal. He has no idea who Jesus is. And so when Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? The man responds with why he hasn't been healed yet. Now, some interpret his words as being defensive. Some interpret his words as being him just giving excuses. Others just he's reporting the facts about why he's still ill. Whatever the reason that he gives Jesus this information, the fact remains that he has been sitting, waiting, perhaps alone, for 38 years to be healed. How sad to think that this man has been so close to what he thought he needed for so long, but he couldn't quite reach it. He was so close, but the only way to get in the pool was with the help that he did not have. Jesus does not ask him if he wants to be made well to shame him. Jesus does not ever imply that the ill, the blind, the dying, the paralyzed are in their current state because of any fault of their own. Perhaps Jesus wants to know if healing is really what the man wants. What if Jesus can tell that this man has gotten used to being sick? What if he sees the vacant expression of hopelessness in this man's eyes? I imagine that of all the dozens of people who might have been sitting around that pool at Bethzatha, that maybe this man looked the most dejected. But Jesus goes to him. Jesus tells him to get up. Jesus asks him what he wants. Jesus listens and hears what his troubles are. And then Jesus heals him. What if we take seriously the idea that Jesus cares most about those who are unable to care for themselves? In Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. 
Jesus identifies with the rejected and the vulnerable. And he calls our attention to them and to their care in our pursuit of faithful discipleship. If the man sitting alone by the pool, in the man sitting alone by the pool, Jesus sees the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, and he offers him healing. But you might wonder, why doesn't Jesus heal everybody that was sitting in that pool? I mean, all of them who were there were sick or infirm to some degree. Why didn't Jesus heal them? Why doesn't Jesus heal those of us who are here who are sick or have some kind of illness? Why doesn't Jesus heal our family member, our mother, our child? Biblical healings seem a bit random. And we know that countless others are left in their suffering. There's the one who's healed, but then others are not touched. The stories of healing in the New Testament, though, are rarely about the one who's healed. The healings help to reveal the mystery of Jesus. The healings also can, can illuminate the basic conflict between the good news of Jesus and the way that Judaism was then practiced. And sometimes the healings serve to amaze the bystanders so that they come to faith. I mean, who are we to critique what is in the Bible, but I still don't find that particularly comforting when I need healing. It's like, that's great theologically, but what about my own pain? But I wonder if maybe the point of healing isn't to only give simple comfort, but also to give hope and to restore life, not to just that individual, but to the community. Often when I pray for someone with an illness or hardship, I pray for healing in body, in mind, in soul, and in relationships. I also pray for comfort and endurance and strength. I pray that the person will have all that they need to get through what lays before them because healing is a complicated thing. Healing takes work. As anyone who has ever had surgery or an injury, you know that sometimes that process of healing is more painful than the operation. The work of getting back to whatever normal will be is hard work. And if we keep reading this chapter in John, more unfolds in this man's story. He can finally go back to the temple now that he's well. And he's relearning how to be around people. So even a miraculous healing takes getting used to. This healing, though, is different from many others in different ways, too. If we keep reading in chapter 5, we find that this man still had no idea who Jesus was, and that's who healed him. And he actually ends up helping to instigate, even if unwittingly, an attack on Jesus by the religious leaders. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, and that was against church that was against religious law. The man whom Jesus healed by the pool at Bethesda isn't recorded to have ever professed faith in Jesus, nor is he recorded as even saying thank you. And maybe that's okay. Jesus does not heal people expecting them to come to faith. 
He doesn't heal people, expecting them to even praise him. Jesus heals people because his nature is to heal the sick and to free the imprisoned and to liberate the oppressed and to help recover sight and strength. Jesus has never asked us to become his followers out of obligation after he heals us. What he asks us to do is to go and spread the healing, care, and love just as he does. A few weeks ago, Dalton preached that if we love Jesus, we love what he loves. If we are truly grateful for healing in whatever form it has taken, whether it's our personal healing or that of another, then we show our gratitude by spreading hope in healing and offering whatever kind of healing that is within our power. And yes, each of us has some kind of power to heal. Because you could have the power to heal through a smile. You could have the power to heal through a kind word, through sharing of money. As listed in the bulletin, there's a blood drive coming up later this week. You can offer to heal someone through donating your own blood. You can share food or a meal. And sometimes just your presence and the gift of hospitality and welcome that you offer can offer healing to someone. Whatever the mode of healing we offer, we offer it the same way that Jesus offered his healing. Freely. The man healed by the pool hadn't proven his worth for healing. He actually made Jesus' life more difficult because it was his words that put the religious leaders on to Jesus, leading to the scheme to kill him, according to the Gospel of John. Jesus just does what he is sent to do, and that is to save, that is to heal the world, even when the consequences may prove dangerous for him. He does not let fear, the day of the week, or even potentially undeserving people stop him from doing the mission that he is appointed to complete. And he invites us to do the same as people who love him. Now speaking about mission, the school year has just ended and I know that the teachers among us are shouting hallelujah that they made it to the close of another school year. You have a mission with your students. It is hard and frustrating to be an educator, but your work helps nourish minds and it helps, them, it helps your students to have the tools to build beautiful lives for themselves and for our community. Business leaders and business owners, you have a mission through your company. God has called you to develop firms where love undergirds your business processes and employee and customer relations. You can create healthy and meaningful places for your neighbors to work. You can bring value to your business and to the community. And tomorrow, we celebrate Memorial Day, honoring those whose mission it was to defend our country. And that mission required of them the ultimate sacrifice. Very few of us will ever know the full result of us pursuing the mission that God has for us. 
when we follow through on the tasks and ways of living that God has laid out for us, we end up connecting with people in ways that we can't control and we can't predict. And that's okay. We fulfill our mission because it is what we are here on this planet to do. Jesus healed because it was his nature being the son of God. God is creator and connector, so it makes sense for his son to do the same. So Decatur, first, as a church and as individuals, what is your mission? So many of us have gifts, the gifts to fulfill our own mission and that of this church. Don't wait for the best moment or the most deserving person upon whom to bestow the fruit of your giftedness. Listen for how God is calling you to live into your mission and expect it to surprise you. In the name of God, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.